And this is something that where things fall over so much for large initiatives that involve multiple teams is the fact that no one team has a little slice of value that they can actually deliver on. Everybody is expected to deliver all the thing. All the thing will then magically deliver value to the organization. And that kind of breakdown of work means that it's really easy to go, we're successful and we failed because other team didn't do a thing. And then it becomes a fight amongst the organization around who is successful or not. And rather than a conversation about, are we building a successful product? Creating great products isn't just about product managers and their day-to-day interactions with developers. It's about how an organization supports products as a whole, the systems, the processes, and cultures in place that help companies deliver value to their customers. With the help of some boundary-pushing guests and inspiration from your most pressing product questions, we'll dive into this system from every angle and help you think like a great product leader. This is the Product Thinking Podcast. Here's your host, Melissa Perry. Hello, and welcome to the Product Thinking Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Adrian Howard, who is a longtime friend and prolific coach in the agile space, working with all these different teams from product management to UX to engineering to help them work better together. Welcome, Adrian. Hey, Melissa. It's lovely to see you again. It's great to see you too. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this agile world, this technical world? I started off as one of those sad kids with a microcomputer in the 80s. I was doing development in the latter half of the last century, which is a wonderful thing you can say now. I then kind of wandered into doing a little bit more of what we now call kind of user research and product work. And I got into agile real heavy, real early, which accidentally got me to fall into a little niche around kind of where delivery work, product work, and user research work overlap. And that's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm a coach who helps leaders improve around that cross-disciplinary work, those messy spaces where product delivery and user research overlap. That's really interesting. So one of the biggest issues that I've been seeing out there in my work with product managers is around everybody collaborating to set strategy. And before we popped on this, this podcast, we were talking about this a little bit. The issue that I see is there's product leaders who obviously are the responsible party for the implementation of this this strategy, the lead on actually creating it. But we know from Agile and from other things that we need UX design involved in that. We know we need all the other disciplines involved in it, even marketing, sales, engineering. When do you involve the other disciplines like engineering or UX design in setting strategy? And how should leaders really think about when and how to incorporate them? I'm very much in the early and all the time camp. My experience has been that the kind of ideas and you want the ideas and input around strategy to be as wide as possible, to bring in the stuff that that you don't know because you as leader cannot know everything. So bring in engineers early, bring in user research early, bring in customer support early. Those people have stuff that they've been hearing over and over again, problems that they've been hitting over and over again. And not all of those are going to be in your space. You're going to hear about the fact that development have to deal with this huge monolithic service that goes down for 
a day a week or something like that. And they have, they have to invest all this time dealing with countermeasures to it. And it's slowing down the overall delivery pipeline, which means that this cool new thing that you want the product to do to help deliver a new market is not going to happen. And that's stuff you need to know earlier rather than later. So some product leaders that I've been working with, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, a lot of the bigger companies who are going through an agile transformation or even some of the smaller ones too, they have leaders who are not as technical as some of the product managers who've come up through more of a technical space or from product management working very closely with engineers. And they struggle with how to incorporate engineering into their strategy planning and also capacity planning. And I've heard capacity planning just like thrown around a lot as the bane of people's existence. Lately. So I was like, oh, we've reached that point where people care about capacity planning. Great. So if you are a product manager who's trying to figure out how to work with either a CTO or an engineering lead, what types of conversations should you be having with the engineers? And what's the questions to ask them when you're actually planning strategy? Like what information do you need from them to plan it correctly? The thing you need to do first before you start throwing questions at them is make sure they're actually on board and understand what your your strategy actually is, that you have one. The, the two problems I see a lot are either there is a strategy inside the organization, but no one else inside of the organization knows about it. And therefore, the, the input that you get from different parts of the organization are misaligned to what you're actually trying to do. It's like we had a work with a client who was building a new platform sort of thing. And one part of the technical organization thought this was basically a kind of a technical spike to see if we could do this complicated technical thing that no other organization had done successfully. They were not expecting this to make a bunch of money. They were expecting to find out whether this thing was possible or not. Another group of a bit of the organization on the business side thought that this would be delivering so many million dollars by the end of Q4 next year. And because no one had actually written down that strategy and communicated it in a thorough way and had those conversations with different groups to talk about, okay, what do you think is going to be happening in a year's time from this? They were trying to deliver on very different expectations. So just having a strategy and talking about it is the first step. And the second step is making sure that strategy is meaningful. I know you've, you've had rants about this before, but those strategies which are kind of, we're going to have more customers or we're going to have more money. Those are good and nice things for a company, but they don't really give much direction to what the organization should be doing. Your job as a leader is to help either provide that direction or talk to the people in your organization to discover what directions they think is useful and finding a way of prioritizing and aligning about that. Once those things are in place, then you can start talking on the technical side to people about kind of what are, what are the blockers here? What are people doing right now? That's, that's the thing that I'm surprised the, the number of product leaders who don't understand what teams are doing at this moment in time, where the resources are being spent, how much of those resources are actually aligned with what the company, what the team should be doing. You see a team that that's labeled kind of customer support and they're and they're nominally kind of managing 
the pipeline of customer requests and dealing with that and what they're actually doing under the hood is managing a metric shed load of metrics management or analytics gathering that is necessary to some other bit of the organization. And that's been, they've been doing that for the last six months because somebody had to do it and they were the team without any, with spare space at that particular moment. So there's a lot of stuff that's kind of hidden behind the default labels around teams. So having those conversations about, okay, who's doing what? Where is the time being spent? How many people are involved in that? And making sure that those numbers are actually aligned with what you think the organizational strategy is. And if it isn't, then one of two things has got to change. You've got to either got to change where you're spending the time that your people are, are putting effort in, or you've got to change what your strategy is. And that conversation is the conversation you need to be having with engineering leadership at that point. It's like, what's wrong here? Is that as the way we're spending our time wrong? Or is the idea about where we can go, does that need to change? And listening to that feedback is the bit where you need to be, have built trust with your engineering team that they can tell truth to power at that point. Oh man, yeah, I see that all over the place where people just don't know what their teams are actually working on. And then you find out they're working on like 8,000 different initiatives that don't ladder up to a common goal at all. So yes. it's kind of mind blowing, but I understand when the teams get super large, sometimes it's really hard to keep track of what is everybody doing and how do we stay aligned with that? When you go into organizations and you're trying to help leaders understand like what's the work in progress, what types of tools or like methods do you use to go out there audit the work, especially if you've got tons and tons of teams? That's a really good and hard question. I'll give the favorite consultant answer. Uh, it depends. I try and listen first and discover where the biggest pain points are. They're usually around alignment in one way or another. For example, we worked, that old guy talked about before, when they had one group wanting to do a technical spike and another group thinking it's going to make lots of money sort of thing. The thing that surfaced that was getting the leadership group in a room and talking about what the world would look like a year's time if this project or whether this replatforming project was successful or not. And there was one group was giving results around lots of money in the bank if it went horribly wrong. No money in the bank. We've spent a lot of pointless time marketing this new feature and everybody hates this sort of thing. And another group was saying things like, well, no, if this really complicated data munging process can actually deliver results that map on success and these mapped onto success numbers will depend on some stuff happening in the world. So that's going to take three months to figure out whether that stuff happens in the world. So we're not going to know this until like four months down. And like, how do we know how much money to invest now and time to invest now. There was a lot of uncertainty about what success would look like. How good does this have to be for it to be counted as a success? And when you have those radically different results in a room at the same time, then everybody can look, okay, we've got like 14 different things that this strategy is supposed to be delivering, and they seem kind of opposite in places. That's a hugely valuable thing, just to surface the alignment problem that's happening there. And once you have surfaced that alignment problem, then you can start digging in to why that happened. 
you can look at the org chart and see how that maps onto um, the delivery work that's being happening and the product work that's being happening. You can look at the JIRA or the whatever the work monitoring system is and see, okay, how the team's broken up. How is the value talked about? Where does this stuff come into the work process monitoring system from? Where does success get measured after stuff gets delivered? Is, Is that in there or is that in a separate pipeline? What are the incentives for the different teams? Who gets rewarded and for what? What counts as success for a project? And this is something that where things fall over so much for large initiatives that involve multiple teams is the fact that no one team has a little slice of value that they can actually deliver on. Everybody is expected to deliver all the thing. All the thing will then magically deliver value to the organization. And that kind of breakdown of work means that it's really easy to go, we're successful and we failed because other team didn't do a thing. And then it becomes a fight amongst the organization around who is successful or not. And rather than a conversation about, are we building a successful product? That's a really good point. I've seen a lot of teams, especially ones, you know, when I was working in healthcare, for instance, we'd have these big initiatives where we need the integrations team, which was under a different VP of products to work with a team that was in clinicals, right? To work with the team that was in billing because everything didn't work unless it passed all the information to each other. And there was always these fights about, did I own that? Or how can I like align that with my roadmap? And where do we go after this? Which a lot stemmed from not having a super clear strategy at the top and we fixed that. But then it got down to what you're talking about where it's, hey, if I just deliver my little piece for integrations, it's not the full value this whole initiative that we're going after. What do you do to recommend to companies how to like make that work, how to set success so that people all feel like they're contributing to it so it's not just finger pointing? And, and what types of things do we do to get around that initiative, break it down and make sure we're all working towards it? All the easy questions. It's trying to shift for me. Some companies have a lot of conversation about value at the top, you know, They'll talk about we want we want more money or we want a new market or we want more customers. We're going to deliver this kind of set of functionality that's gonna be valuable to our customers so they can, they're gonna like us. By the time it gets to the bottom of the organization, the conversation is all around effort and work rather than the outcomes that we're trying to deliver and the value that we're trying to deliver. And moving that value conversation down into the lower levels of the organization is the time where you can start helping those teams have a conversation about value earlier and understand that if they deliver something that works but doesn't work with the rest of the org, then they've not delivered something valuable and and effective and helpful to the organization. For example, we had a team that was working on kind of the authentication layer, for want of a better term, of a large project. And they were doing lots of complicated stuff to deal with different kinds of customer having access to certain bits of data and certain bits of functionality, depending on their their layer and their region and 
various legal permissions that had to be ticked off. There was also a very kind of a lot of complicated logic in there. And all of it, in theory, had to be done. And that's the way that they were thinking about it. We've got this big chunk of work. We've cut it up into little bits and we're going to deliver all the stuff to allow this great layer of functionality. They were doing lots of big upfront architectural design to make sure that they could cope with all of this functionality. And they didn't finish. They didn't finish in time, which meant none of this worked. Even the simplest case didn't work. The simplest case of letting someone log in didn't work because that was easy. So that they put off the easy thing to do later while they concentrated on the hard stuff. And that meant there was no value in the entire system because no one could log on yet. Someone had to do this emergency last minute project hack just to let the easiest case of our customers log in and use the preset set of kind of features and data that we knew that they could use in this particular region with this particular sets of permissions. This was something that team could have done in literally the first week, first two weeks, certainly, of the project. They could have had this out there shipped, working. Other teams could have been using that functionality. And because no one was sitting there in product, overlooking that and going, what value can we deliver early? How do we deliver this early? Having those conversations with developers of going, yes, we need this complicated authentication logic way of describing things so we can flip things for different regions of products. But let's deal with these dudes in the States who have this simple use case first. How much does that take? And that's like, we can do that in a week. We can just hard code that. That's fine. That's the conversation that was missing right across the organization that they had sold the complete system, as it were, not even to customers, but inside their own heads. That was the thing that needed to be delivered. And that was wrong. Why wasn't there product management over it? What was preventing them from looking at that? Did they just not have the right people? Was somebody not dedicated to it? Was there two product managers over the two separate things? Yes. All of the above. (laughs) A lot of it, I think, was around incentives and the way things were being tracked. The way that the work was being conceptualized was things were broken down functionally rather than around the value that was being delivered or around the customer's journey or experience. So there was like the authentication bit, there was the data services bit, there was like the the front-end UI bit. Ooh, my favorite way to organize teams. Absolutely, the most useful way to break down work. And those people were fundamentally, when you looked at the way the organization was running status updates and the way that they were checking for information, it was like, what's our end progress to our six-month goal on delivering all the stuff rather than have any of our customers use the BT yet or are any of our customers seeing value in the work or do our customers even like this as a thing? Have we found that out yet? There was one team that was, and this was kind of horrifying. I mean, it was good. It was good in the sense that they realized they needed to validate the work that they were doing with their customers. So they had a stream of work that they were doing where they were going out and talking to customers on a, not as often as they should be, but at least they were doing it. They were doing it at the same time as they were building the thing. So it was like, this was a question we asked. It was like, what happens if the customers say no? Yeah, do you stop building it? Do you like go back and just say, oh, 
you know, or do we keep going? I find so many people do that. They like do the research while they're already building it, but about the stuff they've already started building and then they don't want to like kill it. Yeah. But the status updates were the interesting things when you stood and when I sat in on those as an observer, you saw that the, and they didn't have the product manager title, but that was kind of the work that they were supposed to be doing. They were presenting almost as competitors in that context, in the sense of like, my team's been successful and we've done all these, all these stories and we've made so much progress on the entire thing. And unlike Mary, who's like two stories behind where she said she'd be at this point, the management were kind of playing the, the product ownership group against each other rather than treating them as a group that was trying to deliver on a, a larger set of value, which was depressing but something we have a conversation around what the incentives are. And again, the incentives, the rewards, the bonuses were all around kind of delivering to expectation rather than customers like our product. I have seen that before in so many places and that like toxic, I don't understand that though. How do you build a company and pit all the teams against each other when you're all trying to achieve the same goals? That to me makes absolutely no sense if you're trying to be like a leader of a company and achieve all of these things that you've set out, promised to your board, promised to your customers or whatever. Why turn it into a competition? It also sets you up for failure in various different ways. I mean, first of all, <laughs> people are encouraged, as it were, by those incentives to lie to some extent, to present better than things actually are, to, to hide the truth from you. because their bonuses, their organizational success, their team success, all, all ride on them doing the things that were promised up front. And two, that, that hides vital information from you because the work that the organization does should be an expression of the organizational strategy. That's what should be happening. And the thing you really want to hear as soon as possible is whether that's actually working or not. And when organizations frame stuff that way, people are trying to actively hide that information from you. And the way that praise and punishment is rooted in that kind of organization, it becomes the team's fault rather than for doing the thing, rather than the organization's fault for the strategy not being right. And getting those two things confused is just a fatal error. You see, because then it's like double down. We'll, we'll like throw, you know, you're not delivering fast enough. We'll throw more resources at it or we'll fire you and get a contractor in or we'll, we'll outsource this to deliver this thing on time. Not understanding what the feedback is actually telling you is market doesn't want this thing. Customers don't like this thing. You've misunderstood what value people want out of this thing. When organizations are set up that way, they either don't hear the feedback and when they do hear the feedback, they hear it wrong. Yeah, that's so fascinating. The And it's so prolific out there. I just see it so many places. Were you able to overcome that there and change it? Or was it an ingrained to the culture? I'm, I'm always torn. I'm like, is this, is it a fixable problem? Can people get over it? Can companies get over that? I think it's hard for companies to get over it. It really is. Things that helped, hiring, just hiring in people you had more experience of successfully doing this kind of product work and having those conversations with the C-suite. That was hugely valuable just because it, both because that person had a bunch of really useful knowledge and information 
uh, to help the organization change. And because once you get to that point, the kind of company has kind of said, stuff's not quite working as we want it to. This is why we're doing this thing with this person. And that person then is, because of that, given a little bit more remit to mix some stuff up and change things. And that's bringing in the skills and having permission for those skills to work is the place that it needs to get to. And just looking at the incentives, I think, is often the, the, the biggest thing. What, what do you reward? What language do you use when you're talking about the status reports and updates? What, you know, tell people off? How do you stop that happening? Having that hard conversation sometimes about kind of, you know, this person always does this thing. Is this good for your organization? Yeah, those sound like really, really good suggestions on it. I'm curious too, you mentioned before that the person who was kind of doing the product management stuff didn't really have a product manager title. Did you see that as an issue or was it just bigger than that? It didn't really matter. It's bigger than that for me. In this particular organization, they had the product owner job title. And the problem wasn't the job title. The problem was the fact that chunks of the people in this organization were not doing good product management and were seated in a place where they functionally could not do good product management. You could hire the best product manager in the world to head up one of those teams, and they would either be doing the same things or will have just like resigned in a huff after a few months because there was no space in the organization for them to do the good work. What had to change first is things like, okay, we're going to stop tracking stories now. This isn't a useful number or a fact. And okay, they still want to see the stories. Okay, we're going to put the stories to the end of the deck and we're going to talk about value first. That's a pattern I found really useful with when the people I'm working with are, are kind of middle of the organization rather than top of the organization is start working with your peers and working in, in the work you communicate up about the stuff that is important first. So when there isn't a strategy that they understand, just write down the strategy that they think is happening because that's the thing that will then help them go, the C-suite leader go, yeah, that's our strategy. Uh, you got it right. Or they'll tell you no, but you haven't got it right. And then you can have a conversation about it. Rather than we're delivering so many stories and we're this far down our product backlog or our sprint backlog, whatever it is, rather than talking about the flow of stories through, through the work, start talking about, and this is what the product can do now. And this is what we've seen from our customers. And this is the change that we're expecting in the future. Having those conversations earlier in the deck rather than later in the deck or whatever they're using to communicate with management, whether it's like the Slack channel or the, the status update deck or the kind of the little chat in a room, start talking about the things that you care about first and the things that are less important last. And that just gives more time for the important stuff in that conversation and it helps you and hopefully the people above you in the organization see the impact of the, the more valuable stuff first. Yeah. What happens too when you get into that situation where you're communicating, hey, this is what we think that we should be doing and leadership's like, nope, that's definitely not what you should be doing. And they decide that they need to change strategic direction and kind of focus on new things. I've seen like a lot of friction emerge from that. Have you seen that as well? How do you navigate a strategic shift that well, especially across all the disciplines, right? It's not just 
product changing. It's also engineering changing what they're doing and UX design. Like, What are things that leaders need to keep in mind for that? I think this could be very dependent on where you are in the organization because leaders, leaders sit at many different levels. A failure mode I see at the C-suite level is very little direction beyond market and money. They know they want more, more people using their product. They know they want more cash. And they're kind of hoping that someone else in the organization will, if we give them this goal, someone else will figure out how to do that thing. And there needs to be more direction than that. Just a little bit more about the areas that the company is planning to move into. Is it changing market? Is it changing business model? Just asking for the rest of the org to solve, to solve a problem that you've pulled out of thin air isn't leadership at the C-suite level. That is hoping to steal the credit from the people who are actually coming up with ideas in your org and hoping they'll manage to solve your problem for you. That's a gap I see in some organizations that the people right at the top don't have that product knowledge. They don't have a CPO. They don't have enough contact time with customers. They don't have that kind of design and, and user research side. Or the people they have in that product role has a, a focus on a certain subset of that, like the product skill set. You know, someone who's very customer-focused, but not very market-focused or the opposite. So there isn't balance there. That's a hiring a skill at the C-suite level, and that's really hard to fix unless people are willing to see that gap. Once that's fixed, it's, it's just talking to people around what that big organizational vision is, making sure that's communicated, aligned, and everyone agrees on that. And then you can start talking about the different bits of information, the different blockers in different parts of the organization, the things that need to happen to fix that. And that's when you gather the ideas where you actually have a strategic direction that people can align around. For example, we worked with a client who had a, to be blunt, a solid customer satisfaction problem. People have been using their product for a while. For a while, it was kind of the only product in this space for this particular niche. And it kind of sucked to use. It really did. And people were complaining about this on multiple levels. There were like UX issues. There were, is the damn site up online issues. There were customer support issues. A whole lot of stuff. So, and they could see C-suite were okay. They were good. They could see that this was a problem for them. And they could see that competitors were eating their lunch when it came to user experience and then stealing their customers from underneath them. So they had a this is what we're going to be doing for the next six months. We're going to be focusing on moving our customer satisfaction numbers up, dealing with the, they have various metrics to look at that way. And as that dropped down in New York, you saw different things coming back up out of the teams. You saw engineering talking about there are these reliability issues around tech debt. We've been kind of ignoring him because you've been like hitting us on the head to deliver more features. This is the time where we fix those things to make the uptime go up, which we think will help the customer satisfaction get better according to these metrics that you care about. When we went off to talk to user research and design and some of the kind of the front end folk, there was a lot of conflict there sort of thing because the usability folk have been going for ages. Well, we do this usability testing and we tell you all the many numerous hundreds of ways that our product deeply sucks and then you never fix it. And the dev side were more going kind of, yes, you keep telling us the product sucks, but we have to ship this thing in two weeks when you tell us. So 
too late then. You know, you give us unactionable work and getting those groups together, having a conversation about, okay, the, the organizational goal is make customer satisfaction get better. How do we make this work more effectively? User research is obviously something we need to get better at. So the usability testing is something that needs to be actionable. So that became a goal for those two groups was that there would be, and I can't remember exactly how they phrased it, but it was something like their usability testing will result in actionable improvements to the product, something like that. And they had some metrics around that, around the, the number of P1 issues that would be discovered before the product launched, the number of P1 issues discovered post-delivery, as it were. They wanted to increase the cadence of usability testing. They wanted to do usability testing earlier in the product development cycle so they could catch problems before they became big problems. And that didn't universally work. Some of those numbers didn't come out quite as they wanted them to. But having that strategic direction and having that conversation about this is what we want Customer satisfaction is our big thing. This is a conflict inside the organization that's affecting that. How do we improve that? Was coming from user research. That was coming from front-end dev. They could have a conversation together to figure that out and present a, this is what we're going to try and do to help you with the customer satisfaction problem to the, the layer above that. And that worked really nicely. Fantastic. Sounds like really good advice too for a lot of product leaders or a lot of organizational leaders out there. And I'm sure if people are struggling this could be something that you could help them with too? I would hope so. These days, I'm mostly doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with leaders. Sometimes that, that's in product, sometimes that's in user research, sometimes that's in dev. And the time we spend is mostly about conversations around cross-disciplinary problems they hit. And that's usually the ones they hit when they're kind of leveling up a little bit in the organization, when they're going from being IC to being the team lead, when they're going from there the team lead to the director or the VP. It's the time when people are changing the work that they do, when they're moving. The product person has previously had this focus and has been like pointing all their product skill set at the, the product that is being delivered and the end users and customers of that product. And they, they need to kind of move that skill set and point it at the product org and helping make that product organization better. That's the kind of space I play in. Great. So if people want to get in touch with you, Adrian, where can they learn more about you, about your work, and reach out? The, my work stuff is on quartstars.com, where you can sign up to our awesome free newsletter, which will eventually start going out again. 2021 was an interesting year. There's my personal writings up at adrianhoward.com. If you want to know when I'm drinking coffee, you can find me as Adrian H on the Twitter. Great. Thank you so much for being here today, Adrian. It's been great talking to you. And for those of you listening, if you'd like to hear more about Adrian, please check that out. And if you'd like to listen to more episodes of the Product Thinking Podcast, make sure you hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. We're on all the platforms and stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday. That was lovely talking to you.